coming up next on Abounding Grace. The essence of the text today for the Hebrew Christians then and for you and I today is don't choose disobedience. Don't go backwards. It will not lead you to what you think is there. Don't do it. That's the stern warning. But the reality that you can make bad decisions and walk away from the love of God, of course you can. Does that mean God doesn't love you anymore? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you will live a miserable life. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. As we study our Bibles, we're bound to encounter some passages that leave us scratching our heads. What's that all about? Has that thought crossed your mind a time or two? Well, today on Abounding Grace, we'll encounter one such puzzling passage, and it's in Hebrews chapter 6. Pastor Ed Taylor is here to help us arrive at the meaning of this rather stern warning. Hebrews chapter 6, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Only God Can Melt the Hardened Heart. Only God can melt the hardened heart. Now, you guys that have been studying along with us, verse by verse, through the book of Hebrews, already know that we're in a controversial section of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 6. And so what do people do with controversial passages of the Bible? Well, they tend to argue about them, fight over them, and some even stake their claim and are unmovable. But I would encourage us not to lose the forest of God's great love for us because of a few difficult scriptural trees along the way. We actually should expect, as we're reading and studying the Bible, that we're not going to understand everything, that there are going to be things that are difficult to grasp. Because really, if we understood everything there was about the Bible and about God, then we would be God. And so along the way, as we're growing, as we're maturing, we're going to learn more, but we're never going to learn everything. And so we should expect that there are some hard things in the Bible. We should expect that there are some difficult passages. You know, Peter, when he was writing his second letter, he said the same exact thing. So it's not something that we're just dealing with. They were dealing with it in the first century. Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. He says, And remember the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. This is just as our beloved Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant. Just as they do the other parts of scripture and the result is disaster for them. And it's really a shame that we would be trapped into arguing over the Bible instead of worshiping the author. And that's his intent, that we might know of his love and his grace and his mercy. Now, whenever we tackle any section of the Bible, any part of the Bible, we always need to remember the context in which which it was written, especially difficult parts of the Bible. 
Context is king. Not only do we need to remember the context, but we also need to remember the historical, grammatical background of the text. We need to remember that when the book of Hebrews, for example, was written, it was written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific reason. And before we ever take the Bible to apply it to our lives today, separated by generation after generation, we must first determine what did it mean to the people that were hearing it. That's very important. Because if you choose, and I choose to take a text out of its context, then we can make the Bible say just about anything we want it to say. So we need to stay within the context. Now, the specific context that this section, verses 4 through 8, is found is under the banner of spiritual maturity. Remember, he is teaching them in this section about their maturity in Jesus Christ. He's saying, by now, you guys should be teachers. You have known Jesus Christ long enough that you should be teachers. But instead, we need to go through the elementary principles of Jesus Christ. You should be telling people about these things, but I have to repeat them over and over again. The context generally and specifically in this section is spiritual maturity. Now, the context generally of the letter to the Hebrews, you recall, is a group of Jewish Christians that have been delivered and taken from Judaism into the fullness of what Judaism promises, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And yet in their relationship with Jesus Christ, they are heavily tempted to go back to Judaism. Specifically, that's what they're dealing with. They want to go back to the rituals, to the sacrifices, to the worship system of the old covenant. Here they are as new covenant believers, fulfilling the, the, the desire of their heart by faith in Jesus Christ. And what does the author do? Paul says, Jesus is greater, 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 greater. Don't go back. Don't go back. Why are you even considering going back? And today we come to probably the most stern warning in all of Hebrews, perhaps even in the Bible. This context is going forward, moving forward. Don't go back to Judaism. And so with that in mind, pick up with me in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again themselves for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. So to this audience of Jewish believers who have embraced their Messiah, the word of the Lord comes. He's warning them, don't go backward. Don't go back to Judaism. That's his warning. And I believe as they heard this warning, while there might be much debate today, for the audience that heard this for the very first time, they understood exactly what Paul intended. That it sat well in their minds and their hearts that they knew without a doubt what this warning entailed and how strong it was given to them. 
I don't believe there was any confusion among those that needed to hear this warning. And so as we come to a text like this, it's important that we let the Bible say what it says, that we allow it to speak to us today, that we learn how to open the Bible and read it and yield to what it says, not trying to explain it away and and not trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. It was Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th century preacher that said, and I quote, we come to this passage ourselves with the intention to read it with the simplicity of a child and whatever we find therein to state it. And if it may not seem to agree with something we have heard so far, we are prepared to cast away every doctrine of our own rather than one passage of scripture. He says, it's far better to be inconsistent with ourselves than with the inspired word. And so let's break it down here and notice, first of all, who is being addressed. We have said over and over again that Hebrews has been written to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. So who is this group he's describing? Well, notice, he says, he describes them as, first of all, those who were once enlightened. Now, in looking at these elements, this is a good time where we go back to the original language, which is the Greek here, and understand the tense in which these words are written. The tense of these words in this description of this group of people, those, the tense of the words is in the aorist, A-O-R-I-S-T. And the way that we deal with that tense when we translate to the English is the idea of this has happened once and for all. Or, or you could say, this really happened. That's the aorist tense. So when it says, first of all, number one, that they were once enlightened, It's describing a group of people where their eyes were opened, where they are now seeing things spiritually, where the light of the gospel and salvation of Christ broke through their lives. This really happened. Number two, notice, not only were they enlightened, verse four, but they also tasted the heavenly gift. They tasted the heavenly gift. They received salvation. I believe this is a group of people that were born again. They were born again. They're living their new lives by faith in Jesus Christ. So much so that this word taste actually was used in a previous chapter. Would you go back to chapter two? Jesus also tasted something. Same word. And notice how it describes chapter two, verse nine. It says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. And Jesus tasting death is a description of his real death. And so when we come back to Hebrews 6, they tasted of the heavenly gift. This is a real taste. They experienced salvation. Thirdly, it says they became partakers of the Holy Spirit. The word partake means to share with. They shared, they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They shared as partners with the Spirit of God. Fourthly, it says in verse five, they tasted of the good word of God. They taste, they took in the God's word continually. They received his truths inwardly. Remember, the Bible teaches that a man or a woman that is spiritually dead, someone that's not born again, cannot understand the Bible. They can't receive it. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God because they're foolishness to him nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. This is a group of people that understood the Bible and only people who can understand the Bible are spiritually saved. And then notice the fifth thing uh, that we see. 
is not only that, that they became partakers of the Holy Spirit, they tasted of the word of God, and finally, they tasted of the powers of the age to come. They had a taste of heaven. They have a heavenly hope. And so I believe that this describes a group of believers. And this would be a good time to stand back and look at some of the popular views of this section. One of the most popular views of this section of Hebrews is that many believe that this is describing a group of people that's not really saved. They're sort of fake believers. And they dabble in things that are, they, they go to church and they own a Bible and they have new language and they're not, hallelujah brothers, hey, praise the Lord, but, but they're not really saved. I don't believe that's what this is describing. However, there is such a thing as make believers. And so unless we just dismiss that, there is such a thing that this group of people that, that I know in a group this size, listening to me right now, there are those that are pretending to be saved. They're pretending. They, they picked up a Bible along the way. They picked up a few words. They, they like being around Christians, but really have never been born again. That group of people does exist. And if you're hearing my voice today, don't stay in that group. Uh, John would describe that group. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. And he describes a group of people. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I really don't believe that Hebrews 6 is addressing fake believers as we've seen the words in the tense of the words speak of matter-of-fact occurrences. Another view of Hebrews 6 is that some believe that this is just a hypothetical situation that's laid out for us to consider. It's just hypothetical. It's not really real, but maybe if this would happen, this is how it's going to go down. There's a great problem with that contextually. Because in order for this to be hypothetical, it's tied in with the admonition to mature and to grow. So that would be have, to ha have to be hypothetical too. And if you work your way back, you'd say, now wait a minute, it ties in so deeply with the need to be spiritually mature that the rest of the section would ha have to be hypothetical too. And it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the context at all. A third view of this section is that there are those that say that this speaks to believers who are saved and lose their salvation. And this is where they just become unsaved. And I don't really believe this is teaching that at all. That would have to take it out of its context and a lot of other passages in the scripture that we'll be studying in the next few weeks. Since salvation is eternal and not temporary, one thing we never find in the Bible anywhere at any time is a born-again believer becoming unborn again. You don't see that in the scriptures, nor do you see it back and forth. A fourth view of this is even more difficult, and that is, some believe this is referring to people who follow God, then they backslide and can never come back to God ever again. And you would think that that would not be taught anywhere, but there are churches that teach, you get one shot, and God isn't the God of the second chance, and that's it, you get one chance, and one, the first time you blow it, it's over. The first time you turn away, and I simply don't see that as a part of the entirety of scriptures or the heart of God either. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's so encouraging. And so as we look at this text, 
we recognize that there is tension on both sides. On the one side, we recognize and acknowledge the sovereignty of God and His ability and power to sovereignly arrange things as He sees fit that we submit to His sovereignty. And yet, a person that's born again, one thing that doesn't happen is that God doesn't take away your free will choice. You and I still make our choices, and it's been wisely said, we make our choices, and then our choices make us. And so we still have the ability to make choices. And one thing that we cannot lose in this text, in all the debate, is this simple fact. Believers, true believers, can fall away and turn aside and turn their back on Jesus Christ. It is possible for you to make a choice to walk away from the joy of your salvation, to turn away from enjoying the presence of God. Often we will call that backsliding, but you can call it whatever you want. It is possible for you to choose to live a disobedient life. It is possible for you to choose to rebel against the God that loves you. It is possible for you, that's why the Bible tells us, and John, John will tell us in 1 John, keep yourselves in the love of God. On the one hand, you have God and his power and his sovereignty. That as a believer, you are in his hand and no one can snatch you out of his hand. That, that you are safe and secure as you abide in Christ. Yes. And on the other hand, we can make some really foolish mistakes and foolish sinful decisions that will take away the enjoyment, the enjoyment of the love of God and live a rebellious life and suffer the significant consequences, as well as those people that are around you and love you, the consequences of rebellion. And the essence of the text today for the Hebrew Christians then and for you and I today is don't choose disobedience. Don't go backwards. It will not lead you to what you think is there. Don't do it. That's the stern warning. But the reality that you can make bad decisions and walk away from the love of God, of course you can. Does that mean God doesn't love you anymore? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you will live a miserable life until you come to the end of yourself. Which reminds me of one of the most popular parables that Jesus ever taught. We commonly refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. Which we could rewrite that title, couldn't we? Because that title's not in the Bible. We could rewrite it, the, the parable of the prodigal sons, because he actually had two boys that were struggling in their relationship with dad. But actually, a careful reading of the scriptures would say that we have to title that parable completely differently, because it's actually not about the sons at all. It's the parable of a father's love. And to summarize the father's love, you know, to summarize that parable, you have a dad with two sons. One of the sons decides, I don't want to live with you anymore, dad. I don't like the rules. I don't like the way it is here. I want my inheritance now because the bright lights of the city are tempting me and there's things that await me and I want to take off. And so what does dad do? Gives him his request. Remember what the Psalm said? In the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, he gave them their request, but what? Sin, leanness into their souls. He gives them the request. He goes in, the kid goes into the city. Man, he's got a lot of new friends. He's got the party lifestyle. Things are going well until his money ran out. And when his money ran out, his friends ran out. And when his friends ran out, a famine hit the land. Worst timing for this kid. And instead of humbling himself, he took a job. 
and he took a, a real difficult job feeding pigs. It was not only be below what his capability was, the consequence of his decision now is that his job was now leading him into more disobedience. It wasn't for him to be around pigs on clean animals within the religious system that he lived. It was a miserable life. And in that misery, he came to the end of himself. And he decides, you know, it'd be better just to go home as a servant. I'd be, have a better life as my dad's servant, let alone a son. And it was through that brokenness that he comes home. And what happens is dad meets him, hugs him, throws him a party. But some of you I know, with the love of the parents that you have, and the prodigal kids that are a part of your life, some of you have questioned, why didn't the dad go after him? Because we always read the Bible, and uh, I mean, we often read the Bible like, well, you know, if I was the dad, I would have gone after him. Well, what is it about the inspired word of God of Jesus where the dad didn't go after him? Keep that in mind, because that is what happened. The dad waited for him, but didn't go after him. So notice now, with that in mind, come back to verse 4, and let's read again in the beginning. It is impossible. It is impossible. What is impossible? Jump down to verse 6. If this group of believers fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. What is impossible? Well, I believe this is teaching us. It's impossible to follow Jesus, to fall away from Jesus. It's impossible to return to him to repent in your rebellious state. It's impossible. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Pastor Ed, as you closed out today's lesson, you made the point that it's impossible to follow Jesus, return to him, and repent in a rebellious state. In other words, repentance will not reside with rebellion. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, hardness of heart really does prevent us from seeing the truth, Larry. And the reality is, is that rebellion is the epitome of hardness. And when we are resistant to God, repentance will not follow. Repentance follows, according to the Bible, godly sorrow and recognition of my sin against a holy and a righteous God and my sin affecting those in my life. So godly sorrow leads to repentance. Goodness of God leads to repentance. Rebellion and resistance leads to more hardness more anger, more frustration, more confusion. It leads to more bitterness. Uh, and so rebellion is, is the exact opposite of humility and having a softness before the Lord. So I, I'm going to pray that God would soften your heart. And even hearing my words, you might be upset with me. You know, it's like, who are you, pastor, to tell me that? Well, I, I can answer that for you if you're thinking that. I'm nobody, um, but I do know somebody who loves you greatly and... I want you to be in a right relationship with him. Uh, rebellion's not getting you uh, where you want to go. Uh, it's hurting you and harming you and making things worse. Just look at the life of Pharaoh. Um, and he's a great example of the end of hardness of heart. It ends in disaster. So, Father, I pray for those today that might be resistant, maybe even rebellious, that you would soften their hearts, God, 
and bring about a true change from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for that explanation, Pastor Ed. We know we should study the Bible, but many Christians aren't sure how to go about it, or they find it less than enjoyable. Well, we picked out a resource that can help. It's from Skip Heitzig, and the book is aptly titled, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. As the title would suggest, Pastor Skip will inspire you to enjoy studying the Bible as God intends and discover its power and relevance to your life. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we've got another study in Hebrews to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.